0: Welcome to episode number 40 of Taking You to the Top. Today's guest is the founder and CEO of Monetapro. Monetapro is a B2B platform that operates as a sell for credit exchange. They allow companies to list goods and services for sale at prices they determine. With Monetapro, businesses can freely buy and sell goods and services to other businesses across all vertical markets and industries. Join Rami in welcoming him to the show. If you have any questions for our guests today, please leave them in the comment section below. Also, if you'd like to get more data on any of our guests, please download the Taking You to the Top app from our website. That being said, we hope you enjoy today's episode. Welcome to another episode of Taking You to the Top. In this podcast, Rami spends time speaking with founders and CEOs from across the globe and asks them specific questions to learn exactly how they built and launched their businesses. So sit back, relax and get ready to learn. Are you ready to take it to the top? All right, Stephen, welcome to episode number 40 of taking you to the top. Thank you for joining me today.
1: Thank you, looking forward to it.
0: Great, so Stephen, to get us started, if you could introduce yourself, maybe take us back from the beginning, tell us where you're from, where your journey started, and how that journey led you to founding your company.
1: Yeah, it's an interesting arc that I've practiced many times. So lifelong entrepreneur, actually never had a job. And part of it is I learned years later that I'm technically unhirable as an employee. (laughs) Just my mind was wired more around an entrepreneurism, but I didn't know that when I was taking all these assessment tests in college. Uh, So basically, I started retail stores in college as an entrepreneur when I was 20, Um, I got out of that and actually wrote a book called give yourself credit. It was around credit improvement and started an infomercial. So I had the fourth ever infomercial on television, learned a lot about direct response and and media buying and the arc Rami and my career really started. I was 22. I went to work for a company called travelers group and, um, over the course of six and a half years, I read 357 books. And every time you say that, people are like, oh, that's so me. It's really not. The goal was very simple. It's one book per week. So the goal was to read a book, learn a new skill, and stack skills every week where you constantly get better over a period of time. Sure. And and over that period, I trained about 8,000 people, but I developed a very specific kind of 10-step program that merged into something I call a bullseye belief system. Okay. So, I've got thousands of hours of learning, and I used that when I was in my 20s. I started my first internet company in 1996 mm-hmm. called Virtual Sellers, which was an e commerce company. Uh, and we took it public at age 32 when close to a billion dollars in 1999. So, I had my first company at a billion dollar market cap when I was 32. And then I learned asking for a company worth a billion dollars wasn't a good bullseye because I didn't own enough of the company to be worthwhile. Right. So as an entrepreneur, I've learned through the years kind of how to refine this system of being very specific in what you're asking for, very targeted in who your customer is, very specific in your ask. Uh, and through the course I've built 11 companies, five of them. I'm the first one in the world to have ever done something which actually is interesting. They're in different industries and three of those companies have been public OTC kind of small cap companies. So uh, I start the companies. They're my ideas. I'm great at the concept and the initial sales. That's Mm -hmm. where my skill set is. I suck at operations. So I always have to bring people in to run the company. Um, And again, it's kind of these things you learn over time. Your greatest strength is your greatest weakness. My Strength is I'm a, an amazing, glorified business development person to open doors, sure. but I've learned I don't close them. So my weakness as an entrepreneur is I need people around me to support the business as it moves forward.
0: Right. Okay. Got it. So um, can you, I, I believe the latest venture is Moneta Pro. Yes. Am I pronouncing that correctly? You are. Thank you. All right. Uh, so, could could you tell us more about the company? What what you do and what you're trying to achieve?
1: Sure. So, the the original concept for Moneta Pro actually, I looked at doing it about twenty years ago, but the technology in the world wasn't sophisticated enough to understand it. And uh, in order to move forward, Rami, I'm going to go back real quick. Sure. E-commerce is is online. The original form of commerce, the way we as a society used to transact was barter Correct. Before yeah. money. I've got chickens, you've got milk, let's trade. If you want chickens, I don't want milk. I need money, I need portability to go buy something else. The first forms of portable currency ever were the Minetta, the seashell, the cowrie Moneta seashell, which is okay. where the word money comes from. Right, so what we've built with Moneta Pro is the marketplace, the biggest companies in the world the airlines, the automotive, the the food and drinks. These companies do corporate trade or barter. Where a company like Ford will trade ten million dollars worth of cars into, you know, Merck for shipping. IBM would trade computers for something. Caterpillar trades equipment for coal. But if you can't negotiate an equal trade, like the old days of barter, you need portability. Okay. And so that's what MonetoPro Pro is. Is it's a marketplace where a company can list assets, kind of like an eBay or an Amazon. Mm-hmm. But when they sell them, they receive an electronic trade credit, a trade finance credit, which we call a GBUC, a general business usage credit. Okay. Uh, and it, it, think of it, Rami. It's kind of like a store credit in Amazon. Sure. You know, if Amazon gave you a thousand dollar store credit, even though we okay. do blockchain, we don't use tokens and stuff. If you had a store credit in Amazon. It can't be stolen. It doesn't fluctuate. It can only be spent inside Amazon. That's what's called a closed loop system. Okay. Uh, and but, that's really what Minetto Pro is. We're a closed loop transaction platform for big companies to trade assets.
0: Uh, okay. Well, I, I guess one really important question is, how does the revenue model work for your side?
1: For us? Oh, ours is, ours is simple and easy. Where. are uh, an onboarding fee, we're basically like enterprise software. We're similar to, you know, SAP or Oracle meets Amazon with a transaction fee. So there's there's an onboarding fee for these huge companies because they have to get software set up. They need some training. They, they have to set some processes in place within their company.
0: Sure.
1: Monthly hosting fee, just like a, an, an SAP or an Oracle or an Ariba system. And then we are taking a transaction fee, but that transaction fee is after the first, some of the bigger companies coming on, it's either 30, 50 or a hundred million in volume. Right. And we're a 1% transaction fee after the volume, whatever their onboarding fee is, we all set that with the volume. So transaction fee doesn't kick in until after they've
0: they've accomplished their volume. Got it. Okay. And uh, when was this company launched?
1: Well, I'm gonna answer it in a, a bit of a trick question because I, I I don't know if this helps me or hurts me. It kind of depends. In nineteen ninety nine, going way, way back, is I took the e-commerce company public. We were doing credit card processing. We're technically what became PayPal.
0: Okay. If you
1: think about PayPal, PayPal's a master merchant for credit card processing.
0: Right.
1: And so in the year two thousand, I looked around and I actually discovered this market in two thousand and tried to build a software called Two exchange uh-huh. and we are trying to build this electronic credit, but we called it a currency. I called the GBUCK a global business usage currency, right? Because technically it's a currency. If you sell something to China and you get this unit, it acts mm-hmm. as a unit of value or currency to buy something in Brazil. Right? So the first go around in 2000, 2001, we got caught up in the technology collapse of exchanges and people thinking we are currency. With that, yep. fast forward to 2017, end of 2017, going into 2018. It's really when we launched. And the primary reason was blockchain had started taking off, even though people didn't understand it. Bitcoin was being called a currency, even though it's not. All yep. these concepts were around cryptocurrencies. And the cryptocurrencies aren't payment mechanisms, in my opinion. Most of them are glorified penny stocks. <laughs> okay. So, I knew with Mineta Pro, we had an actual unique type of settlement platform. right? And I knew I could leverage blockchain for some different stuff. So, we launched in 2018. We did our first global contest um, at D10E, which these guys were running amazing contests around the world. Mm-hmm. We did a startup contest in February of 2018, San Francisco. 420 companies applied. 30 were accepted to present, we were one of the 30. You had seven minutes on stage with 10 VC sitting in the audience, uh, and we took first place in the largest blockchain ICO contest in the world at that time, and that was sort of what launched us into contests and all these global systems around the world, okay. and then we went on to win eight contests around the world, completed the software, integrated into IBM. Got ready to launch first quarter of this year. And then obviously with COVID, that sort of uh, slowed things down on the corporate side, shall we say. Sure.
0: Okay. And uh, what does team size look like today? Team size is
1: relatively small. I want to expand it, but we don't need a lot because again, I've built 11 companies. So I know A, how to do things very efficiently. Mm -hmm. But B, technology allows you to do things a lot differently now. So, My development team, I've got, you know, one primary programmer because the software is already built. We had spent six and a half million dollars building it years ago. Okay. So the dev team, I don't need a big team. I just have tweaks on Mm -hmm. the hosting infrastructure. Amazon gave us an investment credit. So we don't have infrastructure IT for hosting. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: I've got, you know, an operations manager, two assistants, and we're looking to bring on one or two salespeople. Okay. And that's it. We'll probably be able to scale the whole company with seven to 10 people total. All right. And mostly it will be sales marketing and a little bit of support.
0: But currently four.
1: Currently four. four if we count tech, which I, you know, those guys would hate it if I say I don't count them, but
0: yeah, currently four. <laughs> All right. Got it. Okay. Um, Stephen, if you don't mind, we, can we just touch briefly on the economics to understand, I mean, Was the company originally bootstrapped or did those contests help you raise capital?
1: Yeah, it's a combination. Most questions, Rami, with me have two or three answers and they all just sort of like lanes of a highway. They merge together on the exit ramp. Okay. Um, So the existing software, we had spent millions of dollars building years ago and used that software. We actually launched a Homeland Security products company uh-huh. After September 11th in 2001, we modified the software in 2005 for enterprise software. Okay. So I had a lot of the core software already built. Donated that into Mineta Pro as a contribution. So $6 million of software came in. So we didn't have to do the build. Okay. Then with the contest, we won, you know, I, I won't say a substantial amount of money. It's probably six to $800,000 in contests. Okay. And so that was funding and that was interesting because the contests were blockchain contests. So the investments were technically done in tokens. We did a, a small Moneta pro it's, it's in the cryptocurrency space, but we didn't, we didn't do it into Moneta pro as equity. So we were winning contests where it was cash contributions, but the response back to the, the contest winners to the contest holders was a separate moneta Pro token that we had created.
0: Ah, okay. So it wasn't sort of like your traditional. No, I don't do anything traditional.
1: No, I'm. <laughs> I, I I I do what I call retrospective evolution. I look at new technologies and platforms coming out, right. and I say, how can I look at things that have worked in the past, but evolve into the new market? So, cryptocurrency again to me, current the cryptocurrency tokens are glorified penny stocks. They're not currency payment vehicles. That's a different story for a different time if you want. But it was yeah. a non-traditional financing because from 2018 going into early 2019, people were investing in tokens. And tokens to me are kind of, like I said, it's like a glorified penny stock. I have a, a, a prior OTC company, a bulletin board stock here in the United States. Uh-huh. You know, we were a 25 cent stock. We raised money at $0.25. Cents. We offered it to the market at $0.50, cents, so it was discounted. Right. Blockchain tokens were the same way. You'd say, hey, we're raising money at $0.10, cents. Mm-hmm. but then our next round's at $0.25 cents and our next round's at 50 Right. It, it was a weird time, Rami, where you could pre-price your tokens and you could just build in the appreciation. The stock okay. market, you can't do that. The stock market, you the, the whims of your base, your shareholder base pushes you up and down based on, you know, whatever it may be. It may be profits. It may be revenue. It may just be hype and speculation, which is what happens in the smaller markets. Basically sentiment. Yeah. Sentiment, you know, excitement, the gold mine that thinks they're going to find gold and one out of a hundred do. It's the weird thing of which ones in the small cap markets really can deliver and deploy the promise of what they're trying to sell right and in okay. the days of crypto commerce and early blockchain everything was a promise so it was like the days of the internet where people were throwing money at projects that had no path to any kind of performance or profitability right
0: okay um this uh, next section is to understand or to help entrepreneurs understand one very important question which is how do you get your first customers when you come up with an idea is it your existing network well I mean it could be a combination of all the things I'm about to mention but for you specifically did did you use your previous uh, experience and your network to get your first customers or did you sort of advertise to get your message out in the first place?
1: Yeah, so again, Rami, I'm gonna answer that with three different cars going down a lane on the exit ramp. Sure. (laughs) All right, and again, this is is the experience of the 10-step program I created, the Bullseye Belief system, Uh is using my own system into my own company. So, number one, one of my 10 steps is, is called take meetings early and often. I think it's step nine out of my 10. Okay. And step nine says, I want to take meetings early and often with my potential customers, my potential advisors. I'm a big proponent of going to people early saying, here's what I built. Here's what I'm doing. Why won't this work? What am I missing? Who's my competition? What would you pay for this? even if i don't have software built i can go in with slides or powerpoints or graphic mock-ups mm-hmm. to get feedback long before i actually build anything
0: right. so, so are these potential clients that you're going to visit or well they're, they're you both know? so
1: let me yeah let me move to to, to car two okay all right. Which again, in my bullseye belief system, I'm not trying to, to sell the bullseye belief system. I don't sell it. I like I have all my content out there as a giveaway cause I want people to be better, but I reference it because this is how I've used the system. Sure. Step three within my 10 steps is the actual bullseye and it's two parts. One, and they're, they're very simple. As a company, It says, all right, what's the emotional value of what you do? Most people spend time telling, hey, here's what I do. Here's how cool. I could explain to you Mineta Pro all day long. And even if you understood it, what I do is irrelevant to how you can help me. You can't help me just knowing what I do. You have to know what I need, which is to my customer, to your point. So the emotional value is, is the outside of the bullseye. The next ring in is what are the top industries that I'm focused on? Mm-hmm. within the industry what are the companies i want to target within those companies who is the title of the person i'm trying to sell to okay cfo cmo procurement director hr doesn't matter mm-hmm. and then who are the five people by name that i want to meet right now so that's the sort of generic aspect of of this bullseye system of how to narrow down so i took that rami and then here's the third part very simple to answer your question with this I'm about to share. Sure. I said who is our customer who do I want to go after right the the market we're going after is a 17 trillion dollar industry globally. Okay. It's it's as big as the retail commerce industry that Amazon's going after which is 20 trillion and we see now right. good Amazon's done in a business to consumer kind of marketplace.
0: Right.
1: So rather than saying oh our customers everybody I'm targeted I'm I'm a bullseye like what's my target here's how it worked. I looked at the 2,000 largest companies in the world based on assets, which means things they own that they can sell or trade. Not revenue or employees or locations, assets. The next ring in, what are the top 10 industries that have a history of trading? I don't want to go after some industry that doesn't even do this corporate trade activity and have to educate them. Not worth my time. Right. So in those 10 industries, which are automotive, airlines, media, oil and gas, natural resources, shipping, food and drink, like I know the top industries, there's 987 of the biggest companies in the world in those 10 industries. Right. The next ring, we went out and researched and found 88 companies. We found articles Mm -hmm. where a company would announce that they did a trade, you know, Adidas the 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 shoe company did a trade with the New York Yankees and okay. they traded equipment and stock for free media on the Yankees so that told me here's two companies the type of trade it was product and stock for media the size of the trade and the two people who made it so now i have company description and name okay and then i'm almost done from there there were 47 of those companies that we had direct relationships with, we knew the CEO through our network, back to your point, my network or people I could ask to introduce me in. Sure. Out of those 47 companies, I said, here's the top 10 that we want to target. And it's IBM, it's Merce Global Shipping, it's Ford, it's WPP Advertising. And what happens at the end, Rami, if I say, here's my 10 companies I'm focused on, And I'm primarily looking for the finance officer, the CFO, or the marketing officer, because that's where this activity falls. Okay. A, I can go after those companies through personal relationships, or B, other people can refer me additional people in those companies, Mm -hmm. or C, my last point is I get introduced, if I say I'm going after Ford, I get introduced to Porsche and BMW and Hyundai, I don't get introduced to Joe's auto mechanic on the corner. Okay, got it. So, so it was a very specific research target of who do we go after and why.
0: And I'm, and I'm assuming this is all done on a, on a database and it's very methodical and thought out exactly as you explained it. Well, that, that
1: particular research actually took about two months and I got lucky. I had two interns that were given to me from UCLA here in Los Angeles uh-huh. and they were data research. And so we went out and I'm like, create a spreadsheet. Tab one is I want all 2,000 of the largest companies in the world. Tab two, I want it organized in the top 10 industries and do your best to fit it in. So we, we actually have a spreadsheet all the way down to the target companies. Once the target companies are there like IBM, then we can research who is this chief financial officer, who's procurement officer, who's marketing Now we've got a title and a name of people that we can try and go after either through our own relationship and resources or people we know that we can get introduced to them.
0: Okay. And that's when you set the initial meeting where you give them the idea or we're already past that.
1: Yeah. So some of it depends. Like with IBM, we, we started taking meetings early with them even before the software was done. One, because we wanted to integrate in with the blockchain component. So we had to reach out to the blockchain team. We had to research who was head of blockchain. We had to research who was head of integration. Mm-hmm. And a couple of the guys I knew that were over there were, were high enough to get us into the right position. Right. Uh, with a company like Merck, we're still kind of in preliminary conversations because right. we didn't have good relationships with Merck as a shipping company. Okay. And the, the problem for what we're doing with enterprise software now, especially with COVID, big companies don't think in days or, or, or weeks or months. They think in quarters. Right. You know, so we're talking to, to a global shipping company or we're in Dubai in March trying to work with an airline. And they're like, oh, well, with COVID, you'll circle back in third quarter. And now sure. third quarter became fourth quarter. Like these companies can stick around forever. You know as entrepreneurs i'm like i don't want fourth quarter i want four hours from now
0: absolutely yeah okay and uh, did you do any sort of traditional well uh, i'm not going to use the word traditional anymore um did you do any social marketing any kind of advertising or no with you go directly what we're to doing, the
1: customer? yeah what we're doing enterprise wise we the the type of marketing and advertising historically wouldn't work we are, as we get closer, going to do some stuff in CFO Magazine and procurement and things like that, looking more at editorials. Okay. Um, the closest we'll get to marketing, and, and I don't call it traditional and or non-traditional, the conference route used to be a, a great opportunity. And unfortunately, now with, with COVID, things are more challenging. Right. But we're doing, uh, there's a big global CIO conference that we've been invited to speak and present at. And have a workshop on how to to use the company and what we're actually doing again, this is different marketing Rami, but still answering your question. We're finishing up creating a survey. There's about Uh 5,000 CIO members of this group. We think there's probably only about 200 of the companies that might even be big enough to qualify kind of for what we're doing. Right. And we don't even know if they'd be interested. So we're working with the CIO platform in the, the conference to create a survey to generate interest from the companies before we present so that's our our marketing outreach is more survey driven into a target market
0: okay got it i mean really really eye opening i mean especially that process of narrowing down your target i mean that that makes so much sense to me and i think a lot of people sort of try to go random with things like this. You know, they have an idea. They're like, okay, everybody.
1: Yeah. So, and that's, I, I like that. Yeah. No, the, the challenge around is people are like, Oh, well, I can help everybody. You know, I don't want to limit and I, my, my responsive philosophy is a hundred percent opposite. Right. I, I would rather target exactly who my best customer is. You know, and I do this a lot with, with people. I'm like, great. You can sell to 50 different people. Who are the top three? Like, what are your three best industries? Which ones are you strongest in? Which ones do you add the most value? Not that you can't do 30 industries, but what are the three best industries that you have the most value or can give the most benefit? And who are the top companies in those industries? You know, let's figure out that and then ask for those companies and those titles and those individuals I'd rather, like I said, I'd rather get referrals to the CFO of Porsche. Actually, I know the CEO of Porsche. Now I got invited to dinner with Detlef because we we said we want Porsche. We want BMW. So I'd rather focus and have people know exactly what my target is and get referred to people that are who I want, not, oh, I'll take anybody and waste my time with a bunch of referrals that, that, that don't move the needle or take longer. Got it.
0: No, so that's it makes kind of quick, the challenge.
1: Yeah, because real quick, even for us with Mineta Pro, Rami, we we often get sucked down where people want us to go to mid-market companies. And mid-market is three hundred million to kind of a billion revenue. They they sound big, but in the the world of business, there's thousands and thousands of these companies that are small market. Right. I've learned in prior enterprise companies I've created, it takes me just as long to sell into a $300 million company as it does to sell into a $3 billion. They still have processes. Unless your relationship is strong enough that that $300 million company says yes. Well, my goal is can I find a, like right now we're trying to improve our sales team. I need a sales guy who came out of SAP or Oracle, Mm -hmm. which are the big accounting software systems, who sold supply chain, so I want them out of the supply chain component of SAP or Oracle, right. who sold to the CFO and the procurement, and I want them out of the automotive sector or out of manufacturing. I don't want them out of enterprise apps where they were selling Workday and Salesforce to right. UPS, who's not my target.
0: Got it, yeah. So even your hire is targeted. It, it, exactly. it has
1: to be because if not, you know, and I made this mistake. I had a bad hire. I, I hired a guy, great guy, was right. former president and, and head of PwC's global technology practice. Right. Amazing guy, had a lot of activity going for us with the seven, eight, nine months, but I made the mistake. I let him run down companies that he had existing relationships with, which was fine, but he took us, Rami, into companies like UPS. UPS doesn't do corporate trade. He exactly. took us to Home Depot. Home Depot's never done corporate bar. They couldn't even figure out how to do it. JetBlue. So we spun a lot of cycles because as a consultant, he thought he was busy with activity. I didn't keep him focused on companies that I knew could use our software instead of trying to educate new people. You know, so even me, I'm always learning about how to be more focused to, to be more efficient.
0: That's perfect. Well, uh, Stephen, if you don't mind, uh, let's wrap up with The Famous Five.
1: Sure. What's The Famous Five? My five peeps
0: or yours? (laughs) Well, no, there are a specific set of questions that I have that are sort of quick fire just to understand more about perfect.
1: Yeah, I apologize. I think you might have sent them to me, but fire away. I'm ready. No problem.
0: All right. Number one, uh, what would you say is your favorite business book?
1: It's, again, I I don't have a favorite one on my podcast. Anybody that wants it, thebullseyeguy.com, there's a podcast. One of my podcasts has my top 10 favorite books in order. So I get asked that question a lot. I totally appreciate it, Rami. Uh I stack the books in order. Like the first book I tell everybody to read is what to say when you talk to yourself. If you can't figure out how to fix the negative programming in your head, then the next book, which is, the four agreements, don't take things personally. Like you've got to stack these skill sets. So I don't have a favorite book. I have a favorite order of the first 10.
0: Okay, got it. And we can get that on the other podcast, The Bullseye Podcast? Yeah, on
1: my site, thebullseyeguy.com. I've got a podcast as well. And one of the podcasts is my top 10 books.
0: Okay, perfect. Okay, um, number two, is there a CEO you're following or studying?
1: Um. You know, I, I like a bunch of different guys, but for different reasons, you know, Bezos, Jeff, I met in 97 Mm -hmm. with Amazon. So I'm always kind of interested in the different tentacles of where he has and Werner Vogels, who's the CTO of Amazon, who created AWS, Amazon web services, uh, uh, is always interesting to me, Elon as as well. Uh, but I, I met Elon back when he had X bank before PayPal, So I'm always fascinated because I like to figure out where Elon's going. You know, like Tesla wasn't started to make cars. It was created to to create the industry for batteries. You know, so sometimes these guys that you see out there, you you know, I'm trying to figure out where they're really going. Right. Um, But I I don't have one particular one because we're in different industries. And I I like following different people to learn from them.
0: Got it. Okay, um, number three. What would you say is your favorite online tool for growing your business?
1: Oh, again, I. <laughs> I know. Back back on my podcast, I, I'm not trying to push it. Like I've I get asked these questions, and I love it, Rami. Um, I I've done podcasts on my top ten life hacks. Okay. You know, there's all kinds of tools. Zoom, obviously, is a, a favorite now. My friends run that. That's cool. Uh, I use Blinkist. Blinkist, I don't have time to read books anymore because I have to read so much with, with news and politics, but Blinkist right. is a cool little app that sends me a free book every day that's eight to 10 pages so I can read a, a, the h- highlights of a book in five minutes. You yeah. know, I've got travel hacks. Rome to Rio is a favorite site when I'm traveling. We I travel around the world a lot, Rome to Rio would give me every possible combination of how to get between you know, Rome and Zurich, here's how to take the train, here's the bus, here's the guy that'll paddle across on a a shady boat, you know, like, (laughs) there's all kinds of different ones that are out there, um, that, that I'm always just, I'm always trying to find things that can make life more efficient.
0: I mean, yeah, I'm going to have to put three instead of one for now. Okay. (laughs) All right. And uh, number four, if you could give your 20-year-old self a piece of advice, what would it
1: be? 20-year-old self piece of advice. Number one, I would have gone to a different college, uh, which sounds a bit odd um, because I went on full scholarship. I was fortunate. I got recruited. I did soccer, track, volleyball. I stayed close to home in Kansas City and Missouri. But the value of the networks I've learned through the years. So if I had an opportunity to go to Stanford and Pepperdine and some of these bigger schools. Right. Uh, What I've learned through the years is the value of the network at some of these private schools versus public. Private schools have a much, much tighter network. And it's fascinating in California. UCLA is a public school. It's great, fine. USC is a private school. The network within USC is a mafia. Right. The network within Stanford. You know, so I, I had an opportunity to go to a, a higher degree private school right. as a 20 year old self, I would have made a decision because I've learned the value of networks over the years sure. and, and those are kind of invaluable. Okay. Uh, and okay. then other than that, I probably would have, you know, started my e-commerce stuff early and stuck with Jeff Bezos because <laughs> you know, my company sure. went public in 99 doing e-commerce and he was selling right. books. Uh And he and I laugh about it that even the TV show I was interviewed on, you know, he was introduced as Jeff Bezos, the bookstore, amazon.com. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So some of the things, if we could go back,
0: we would do differently. Absolutely. And the final question is how many hours of sleep do you get every night?
1: Um, no idea. Two, (laughs) four, six. It all depends. Um, I used to track my sleep. I'll give you two quick answers on this. I used to track my sleep with a Fitbit Uh and I was at an event with Michael Milken. Again, I would fortunate I got to do these global conferences Was sitting next to a guy, George Washington, who was doing the sleep studies.
0: Right.
1: And I was asking him about sleep and nutrition and he said sugar is the worst thing. He was talking about sleep and he said they did a study with Navy SEALs but if they get less than five hours of sleep over a period of three to five days, their acuity and skills diminish. And over time, it's like being drunk. It's like a blood alcohol where your acuity and mental stuff. And I looked at him, Rami. I said, wow, I must've spent the last 10 years of my life drunk. He goes, what do you mean? I pulled my Fitbit app out on my phone and I said, well, my average sleep for the last 30 days is three hours and 47 minutes. Wow. Okay. And he's like, I, "That's impossible." I was like, "Well, here, i th- This is tracking my sleep. There, you know, sometimes I would go two or three days without no no sleep. Okay. Uh, but again, not because I'm an insomniac. If I have a chance to sleep, I can sleep five, six, seven, eight hours. Sure. But a lot of times, I've we've got things going around the world, or these events were so fascinating that you hate to miss out on anything. Absolutely. You know. So I don't sleep. the The other thing though that happened it's been a bigger challenge with COVID especially Mm -hmm. is I track the amount of hours I'm on my computer real time is another one of my apps, uh, which tracks how much time I'm on the computer, which different apps I'm in, how much I'm in outlook and act and scheduling. And so I had to reclassify social media as a productive time because I use it to read news, right? You know, it was labeled as unproductive, but unfortunately Um, I kept hitting records for number of hours on the computer. And for a couple of weeks, I was at 68 to 70 hours wow. All right. just in front of the computer. And that that was an issue. I wasn't moving around enough. I started developing some back challenges because I, I just wasn't moving and didn't realize it during the COVID time.
0: Right. Okay. Well, can we uh, – I, I want to say an average number, but <laughs> – I guess we can't really put a number there.
1: An average number of what? Hours? Hours of sleep. Um I'd say 4. 4. 4. Yeah, maybe maybe yeah, 4 to 6, but probably 4.
0: Or we can just go with 5. How about that?
1: Yeah, how <laughs> there. Between 4 and 6 is 5. Yeah.
0: Perfect. Well, Stephen, thank you so much for joining me today. It's been an absolute pleasure. I hope maybe A year from now, we could have a follow-up call to see the interesting things that you're coming up with. That would be great.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I I appreciate the time, Rami. And like I said, anybody that wants more information on my stuff, it's just thebullseyeguy.com. Perfect. Got it.
0: Well, thank you again,
1: Stephen. All right. Thank you so much. Take care.
0: Thanks for watching today's episode. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on any of the available podcast platforms so you don't miss any upcoming episodes. If you have an extra minute, leaving a review would help us grow.